You're listening to the Wesley Seminary Podcast. Your host today is Dr. Aaron Perry, Associate Professor of Pastoral Theology and Leadership. What does persecution look like? Is the church in the West persecuted? How do we compare that with persecution that happens around the world? Today's guest is no stranger to these questions. And I don't think there's anybody better to talk to us about them from his broad perspective. Today's guest is David Curry, President and CEO of Open Doors USA. Open Doors USA advocates on behalf of those who are persecuted for their Christian faith in the West and around the world. Since assuming the role of CEO in 2013, David has traveled extensively to encourage those under persecution and to support the work of Open Doors. One of the Open Doors motto is that people are not alone, not forgotten, not ever. They exist to be with the persecuted church. In today's episode, you're gonna hear us talk about persecution. What are some of the examples? What does persecution look like? How can we be attuned to see it and look for it? What kinds of persecution exists and what role can we play? I'd encourage you to stay tuned right to the very end where David prays for the persecuted church in a meaningful and powerful way. It's a prayer that you can participate with, and it's a ministry that you can jump into as well. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode. In this episode, you're going to hear some difficult language. There's going to be some uh, brief description of violence, and I encourage you to be listening to it with that in mind. Thanks for tuning into this episode. Stay tuned for a word from our sponsor, and then check out the podcast. We are Wesley, and you belong here. My name is Victoria Borum, and I am Wesley. I'm Lenny Lucchetti, and I am Wesley. My name is Chris, and guess what? I am Wesley. Hi, I'm Tina Schappett, and I am Wesley. We recognize this beautiful diversity that the Lord has called together that is Wesley. My name is Corey Merritt, and I am Wesley. I am Wayne Brown, and I am Wesley. I am Colleen Durr and I belong here. You belong here too, because we are Wesley. Welcome to the Wesley Seminary Podcast, David. It is a joy to have you with us. Thank you so much, Aaron. It's it's a pleasure to be with you and your audience. Well, let's talk to the audience for a moment. Maybe take a moment and introduce yourself to them. How did you become interested in serving the persecuted church? Well, I was trained uh, with the interest of being in the pastoral ministry, but I quickly uh, began to do work internationally and found that in this context of helping Christian nonprofits and other nonprofits uh, that I found uh, my niche, so to speak. And in that, in the 90s, I worked in South America and ran across the Shining Path. Some people will remember this is a Maoist a communist terrorist group that was working in Peru, in the Andes and in these areas. And and it was really then that I came across persecution on a personal level where they threatened me and the ministries that I was helping in this uh, rural area of, of Peru. From that moment forward, I was interested in a way that I hadn't been before on populations, groups, churches, pastors who had faced resistance opposition, even danger at different levels. Now, uh, jump forward to Open Doors. I've been here uh, for many years now. I had read the book that started it all, so to speak, God Smuggler, which was written by a man named Brother Andrew. That was his code name that he had during the times, the era of the Soviet Union. 65 years ago, he began to smuggle Bibles. And thus, thus he was called God Smuggler wrote a book about it, sold millions of copies. Uh, 
to tell the tale of how he felt compelled to connect the church in the West to the for what he thought was forgotten church in the Soviet Union. Then as that uh, began to change and morph as the walls of uh, the Berlin Wall came down and other kinds of walls into China, into the Middle East. So now today, this is a lot to, to kind of grasp at once, but Open Doors is still that, we still play that role, that initial calling to connect with the persecuted church, to stand with them wherever they may be. Now, it's not the Soviet Union anymore. There are some countries that are in the former Soviet Union still on our list, but there are over 60 countries where people are experiencing extreme levels of persecution, even facing death, because they're Christians. These are places, and we measure this. We have a world watch list, which is, a, is the most trusted grassroots uh, study on persecution of Christians. Places like North Korea, where you, you do have Christians there. There's over a half a million Christians, even though the State Department and others will tell you that for 80 years, they've been trying to crush out religious expression. There's still the Jesus movement in North Korea, and they are greatly persecuted places like Afghanistan or Somalia, where you have extremists, a different kind of persecution than North Korea, uh, where you have Islamic extremists, uh, ISIS-related groups, all with different names, uh, Al-Qaeda, ISIS, Al-Shabaab. In these regions, they have different names, but the ideology of extreme Islam and its very medieval tenets and seeing Christians as infidels and giving people the right to rape and to pillage Christian homes, businesses, villages, all that still exists. And uh, it's it's significant and open doors. What we simply do is we go there. We go, we connect, we supply. And uh, we, in a lot of ways, might be like the um, secret services of the, of, of the Lord's plan here on earth in, in some degree or another. Can you give us a little bit more idea of what that resourcing and connecting and and supporting looks like? I'm I'm with you, and I think the ministry of presence is valuable and real. What does that look like in some of these places where you're attending? Well, one of our core principles is that we're people to people. What that essentially means is we never uh, create scenarios where we just airdrop things into a country. The other core principle would be that we are persecuted church driven. What that means to us is we go into a context. Let's use Iraq, for example. And we we don't suppose that the Iraqi church is the same as the church in Saudi Arabia. We ask, we talk, we've been there in, in the case of Iraq, we've been there over uh, almost three decades in Iraq and have a network to support and connect and, and assist and stand with the church. So we're listening to them. Like, what, what is it you need to be the hands and the feet of Jesus to, to be able to hold church, to be able to get people Bibles. And then we listen. Sometimes it's a technical assistance. Sometimes it's a biblical, uh, they just need Bibles. Sometimes they need training. Sometimes they need aid. It's not, we're not an aid agency, but in Iraq, for example, we have, when ISIS attacked, we set up, uh, camps, we had 150,000 Christians in camps uh, that were run by, you know, by, uh, by us and our partners. So and we, we do anything that would, would seem a natural connection to strengthening the church. But the cool parts, I think that you're sort of referring to is how, how does that happen in a personal way? Well, let me tell you a, a story about the past, which will help you understand the present. 
when Andrew started to smuggle, Brother Andrew started to smuggle Bibles into the Soviet Union, he filled a little VW bug and he just drove it across the border and prayed that the eyes of these guards who could see fine would be blinded to the Bible sitting there hidden in his, but not well hidden in his VW bug. He went from that sort of smuggling to buying uh, and working as a shell company that took refrigerators into the former Soviet Union. They created this mechanism where they could hide Bibles and they smuggled millions of Bibles into the Soviet Union during that time using that kind of covert ministry. And that that spirit, uh, while we're not in, in the uh, refrigerator business uh, anymore, uh, that gives people an idea of how far we are willing to go to stand with Jesus people, whomever they may be, and wherever they may be, if they're opposed or, or hurt for the gospel. I'd love to talk to you about just the, the nature of persecution for a little bit. Uh, you mentioned just horrific actions, right? Where there's permission to to take another person's life, right? There's permission to rape. There's permission given to commit tremendous violence against Christians and destruction of their buildings, right? This is permission that's given by the government or other kinds of authority, maybe maybe not an official government, but but de facto authority. You know, this this certainly is is what comes to mind for me whenever I think of, of persecution. And sometimes I see persecution come up on my own social media feed around other things. In I mean, sometimes I think it's kind of silly. Like, I don't think it's persecution to have a, a government mandated to wear a mask. You know, that, that would be my, my opinion. I don't think that's a kind of persecution. So I want to know how to use this term responsibly, right? Like, like sure. because at the same time, I don't want to imagine that that's only what persecution means. Right. Yeah. Uh, before we came on there, you used the word uh, shadow, the shadow side of persecution or shadow persecution. Yes. So talk, talk to us about that. What how can we in the West kind of be be keyed in to see, well, what does religious persecution look like in our context? Well, this this will be interesting to you, Aaron, and I hope to your to the leaders listening, pastors and leaders. Uh, we measure persecution on, on our world watch list in several different ways. First of all, we ask, what is their government persecution? Is there cultural persecution? You know, there are some places where, where it's the family. You think, wow, family persecution. Yeah. Well, in some Islamic honor cultures, if you become, if your daughter becomes a follower of Jesus, they have the right and the duty under their theology to even kill that daughter for the dishonor it's brought. So, family, government, the police force, you could lose your business. So we measure it across all that. And one of them is violence. And there are some places that there's enormous persecution and no violence. So how is that possible? Well, think of Saudi Arabia. There's no uh, open churches. You can't print a Bible. You, you, you cannot uh, convert to Christianity. If you do, you'll be ex excised from the culture, from your job, from whatever. So there's a lot of persecution, but there's no violence because there's no churches to attack because the church is largely underground. Whereas there are places that there are a lot of Christians and there's a lot of violence. Nigeria is a country divided in half. There are tens and tens of millions of Christians in Nigeria. But there are also uh, 12 states in the north of Nigeria, which are controlled under Sharia law, the most virulent form of medieval Islamic interpretation of the law. And the Christians in the north of that country face grave danger, murder, rape, 
forced marriage, and it's just happening every single day. So um, it, it varies. Okay. Now, when, when I talk about shadow persecution, there's nothing on the top 50 of the world watch list that even that we can even begin to sort of relate to, except you see versions of it, the intolerance, the what I would call to, uh, cultural totalitarianism. People forget totalitarianism, and it's sort of its definition is nothing exists outside of the state, outside of this ruler. Cultural totalitarianism, which is, I think, uh, what we're beginning to see, this wave of like, there's nothing that exists outside of politically correct culture, and you will be forced, harassed, coerced, punished, face social media, mob violence, all these sorts of things. These are shadows. It's nowhere near what you're going to see on the World Watch List, but it begins, I hope, to give us an understanding of the kinds of extreme pressure we face around the world. So persecution is is anything uh, like oppression or discrimination, all the way up to physical attacks. It's like a squeeze in some cases where they're just making it so you can't live you're discriminated against, you can't have a job, you can't do this, can't do that, or a smash where they're just, they're going to hurt you, they're going to kill you. And it it varies in various places. And we measure all that. It's all online and available to people on our website. But I hope what it does though, Aaron, and I'll just finish with this, is it gives us a desire and an understanding to pray and to help, uh, pray for and to help our brothers and sisters who are facing much greater yeah. But magnitudes greater discrimination, magnitude greater f- risk, magnitude greater mob violence, because it's not just social media. It's not just your reputation. You're not just going to be uh, you know, called out and seen as intolerant, but you could be hurt. You could lose your life. In some cases, I have this family I, I care so much about in Pakistan that's on death row because they were accused of blasphemy. And all they really did was they, they were believers in Jesus. So... It's a long answer to a to a big question. Well, it's certainly a, a great way to to think about it. I love the the comparison you made between a squeeze and a smash. Right? This isn't a smash, but it is it is a squeeze. How do we feel that? And and one of the things I think it's so important is that empathy is not a zero sum game, right? So sometimes we only start to sense the pain of others whenever we feel pain ourselves, and then we're like, oh. How much more could they be feeling? That doesn't that doesn't deny my own pain. And the fact that somebody else is feeling pain doesn't deny that I'm in pain or feeling a squeeze, right? The fact that somebody else has been smashed doesn't mean that I'm not feeling squeezed. And yeah. so empathy is not a zero sum, right? It doesn't deny somebody else's experience. It's so important. I think this is an opportunity that Christians can use. I think it is something that churches can use to be educated, to to know some of these stories, to allow ourselves maybe to feel a little bit more pain. It puts ours in perspective, but again, not not to deny it, not to do away with it, but to say, oh, this is real and that is real as well, right? These things are, are both happening. And how can we identify? How can we pray? How can we support? Let me go to that question then. Okay, so you have somebody listening in and maybe they're a pastor, maybe they're a leader in a local church and they're saying, well, what role can I have, right? What Maybe they're saying like, you know what? I hear some of these stories in the West. It hasn't been the case for me, but I would really like to to be part of, you know, as you described it, the secret service of, of God's work in, in this world. How can they support the persecuted church? Well, I think the first thing we have to do as leaders is be talking about it. 
be telling the stories on our website, opendoorsusa.org. Part of what we do is just give you the stories, the videos, so you could see these are your people. Um, he may have the name Muhammad. He may have come from a Muslim background, but he loves Jesus now. And this is your brother. And to hear his story. So telling the story is important. And then mobilizing our people to pray, small ways, big ways. We have an app, Pray for the Persecuted. It's just prayer. We don't ask for money. We don't do anything except just pray for this. And by the way, you can also send a note to the person that you're praying for that we will deliver, no matter where it's at, North Korea or wherever. Prayer, caring, sharing these stories. I think that's where it begins because what we've discovered is what they need, we have. There are projects that pastors can be part of in any and all of these places. Uh, so certainly they need what we in the West have, support, resources, assistance to, to be present with them. But what they've learned, we need. Uh, some of the stuff we were talking about previous, where they have gone through a deeper level of persecution to become a follower of Jesus in North Korea, to give someone a Bible in North Korea, you are signing potentially their death warrant. Do you think it's worth it, Pastor? Is it worth it to you? Is it that meaningful? We don't even think in those terms. But when you give somebody a Bible, and if they are caught, they will be killed. How precious is that scripture to you, right? I think these lessons that we learn from interacting with the persecuted church, we help each other, sharpen each other, and we find unity. I think that's pretty important. One of Open Door's points of focus has been the use of technology, especially when it's been used to suppress Christians, to oppress Christians, and worshipers of other religions, right? This isn't, Open Door's isn't simply keeping an eye on this just for Christians, but in religious persecution and other ways too, especially how this has been happening in China. Can you educate us a little bit? How is technology being used to suppress and oppress uh, religious minorities around the world? Well, thanks for asking this, because this is one thing I want leaders to be aware of. And we produced a report and videos on what's happening in China. China is producing what I call the roadmap of future persecution. It is a blueprint that other countries, Islamic regimes can use. Here's what they do. They have a database. They use artificial intelligence and surveillance to monitor people's behavior. And here's the kicker. Okay, they have a unified system. So every street corner, every restaurant, every bathroom that has a security camera all goes into what would amount to, imagine if the IRS owned every camera on the street and in every restaurant. That's the extent to which China controls it. And then they score your attendance to church as a negative civic behavior. So if you're going to church four times a month, what is wrong with you? You can't be a good Chinese citizen. You can't be, you obviously need to have your travel restricted. You obviously need to be considered whether you should lose your job. That's happening right now in China and they're selling that technology to Iran and to other countries. So pastors, we need to be aware of what's happening. We need to be aware of the technological surveillance, its potential to hurt and restrict the church. One example is uh, early rain church. They spoke out about the government trying to control them and put cameras on, on in the pulpit, looking back and doing facial recognition on their, on their uh, church. They said no, that that's too far. 
a pastor was arrested. The church was raided. They went from a group of 500 to 10 groups of 50. Those groups were raided. On Easter of last year, they met by Zoom. The government monitored Zoom. They went into the private homes. They arrested the people who were watching and the people who were presenting church on Zoom. So that's China. And it, it portends of things to come in places like Iran or elsewhere where they can watch where you move, track where you move. And right now we give all of our information. All of our services are on Zoom. All, think of all the things we do that are, which are open uh, source in the decade or more to come. This is something that the church in the West is going to have to face. You say, well, how would we face that? Well, if they decide because you're preaching a biblical gospel that that's intolerant and that you should not have a platform, uh, you should not be allowed to use your website, this, and that, whatever, you could all suddenly find yourself without a way to connect and reach your church unless you've thought ahead of it. You could lose your zoning. You could lose your tax benefits here in the States. I mean, there's any number of things could happen and may well happen. So I think we need to be paying attention to what's happening elsewhere for that reason as well. It helps us to understand what could happen here. And just to be, I mean, as small, things as small as where is where is your data stored, right? It's sometimes very difficult to have customer service from data storing organizations that, that are free, right, up to a certain point because you have no you have no way to, to make connection. And when those accounts are shut down, they're they're gone, right? And it's like without data, without your history and ability to to show your your identity in these things, life is is near impossible, right? Like you could you could be in the same town as a person for thirty years that you grew up going to school with, and if you're not able to produce a certain kind of identification, life can be very difficult because they know you, they've known your entire life, but they need something to be official. So even just small things of like whoever controls the data has a significant amount of control in the life of an organization, That's in right. the life of a person. That's right, and. So all of the, pl the platforms you use, you should probably try to understand their view of, of faith-based organizations. I think that would be wise. I also think uh, for pastors who have become, who have convinced themselves, that, hey, I have more people watching me on Zoom than ever came into my church, think twice. First of all, we need to be in community. We're called to do it. It's healthy for us, physically healthy for us to be together in whatever sensible ways that you can in, in a flu season or a COVID situation. But it's there's this other factor, which is taking the long view. You can't continually rely or assume that Zoom is not being monitored, checked, whatever, or that you could be deplatformed from it or from Facebook or whatever else. It's it, I, I would go so far as to say it will certainly happen. David, some of this is I'm going to say the word alarming, right? Like some of this, if you're not thinking about this, if you haven't been reading about it, if you haven't been allowing your mind to just explore some of the possibilities or to read read it in terms of history, then some of this can be alarming, right? And I, and I want to let that sit there, right? This is not something to excuse or explain away. So I want to let that sit there. At the same time, gospel means good news. And you are on the front lines of seeing the persecuted church. And in many of these places, the church is growing, right? The people are attracted to conviction that is lived out with courage. They experience the grace and forgiveness and empowering work of God in Christ and the Holy Spirit. And they're being one to faith in Christ. So without this kind of being the, oh, forget about all of that. And now just listen to this. Not saying that, I would love for you to give us what's some of the good news that you're seeing yeah, in terms of that's, the It's a great church. point, Aaron, because we have to be savvy. We have to be wise. We can't bury our heads, but we have to also look at 
in an end time scenario, we know that life gets hard, but the revelation story is also that the church grows, that things get better for some. This is part of the thing everywhere where Jesus is discussed, where people have a freedom to read the Bible, he is transforming lives, whether it's North Korea or Somalia or anywhere else, it, it is powerful. And I would say that the persecuted church is a happy church. <laughs> lots of laughter, lots of joy in the face of all of this pain. They've counted the cost and it's worth it. So, I mean, there's that. The church grows under persecution when it is, let me put it this way, it doesn't always happen. Sometimes the church shrinks or shrivels and nearly dies under persecution. And that happens when the devil succeeds in isolating, when they lose the uh, ability to have a scriptural-based faith, when they start creating their own ideas or whatever, and the, and the weakness of it, the distance from the, the scripture is such that they it becomes cultish and it shrivels and dies, okay? When it loses its connection to Jesus. So connection to Bible, community together, and unity as the whole body of Christ. When the, when you have these things at play, you can have either health or not. When the church is united, in other words, it does not matter if they're Methodist or Pentecostal or Wesleyan or Baptist or whatever. If, they, if we have a common understanding of the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus as our common unifying story, and we're going to disagree on theologies and this and that, but under persecution, when they're hanging people for being followers of Jesus, you're going to hang right next to a denomination that you, you probably may have left or don't care too much for. But they when they ask him the question, and by the way, the struggles for Western believers to understand that Orthodox believers, when given a chance to turn their back on Jesus to save their life, many of them do not do it. Coptic believers who have these traditions, which we look at and kind of go, oh, that looks like it's dead and dry and whatever. Guess what? These people are so passionate about their faith in Jesus that they, they when asked the question and they're lined up, this is not figurative, this is literally, and with a blade to their throat, all they have to do is say, that they rescind their belief in Jesus and they can walk home, they won't do it. They won't do it. So the Orthodox were unified as under the name and the umbrella of Jesus when we're stick to the scriptures and when we're, we're in community. When people are isolated, they're picked off, discouraged, lonesome, and the church doesn't grow. Even in North Korea, people have to be together ones to uh, you know groups of uh two three they can't meet as a church as we know it in uh, many islamic countries small groups secret house churches but they got to get together share community faith um encouragement scripture preaching uh, even taking offerings small offerings they share a bible they sneak their bibles in i mean it's all kinds of great stories but I think when those things happen, boy, you could take encouragement from it. The church is strong in many of these places, if small. Hmm. Joining us today is David Curry. David is the CEO of Open Doors. You can find the website at opendoors.org, opendoors.org. Not alone, not forgotten, not ever. The words boldly proclaimed on your uh, website. Other other countries have Open Doors chapters as well, opendoorsca.org. Uh, org opendoorsca.org for Open Doors Canada, Open Doors USA, opendoorsusa.org as well for more information, depending on your uh, ministry context. David, thanks so much for taking the time to share your passion, share your story, share your information with us today. 
Thank you. David, I don't often do this. I've done this only a couple of times, but I would be honored, and I think our guests, our, our listeners would be would be blessed. Would you take a moment and pray for the persecuted sure. church, and we will join with you in your prayer. I'd be happy to. Heavenly Father, we pray for those, our brothers and sisters, no matter where they may be, in lonely places, in prisons, in cells, in homes, where they're being abused for their faith, where governments are watching and observing them. And Oh, Lord, we pray for them. Give them boldness give them peace. We do pray that you protect them. We know that some will lose their lives. We know that many will be hurt. But Lord, we pray that you'd give them sufficient grace in the midst of it, Lord. Build your church. May the gates of hell not prevail upon it. We are going to do what we can to pray, to lift, to care, to support in any way possible. But Lord, would your presence be with them? We pray it in your name. Amen. Thank you, David. I appreciate you doing that. Listeners, if today's episode has been meaningful for you, check out the ministry of Open Doors, opendoors.org, Open Doors USA, Open Doors Canada, or Open Doors CA. The Wesley Seminary Podcast exists to introduce topics and resources for fruitful ministry, and we pray that this episode has done just that. So thank you for tuning in. You make conversations like this possible. Thanks to our production team for making this episode, and me especially, sound a little bit better than I otherwise would have. I certainly appreciate all the technical support that you offer. Thank you, David. Thank you, listeners. Thank you, team, for making this conversation possible. I trust you all to have a great day. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter under the name Wesley Seminary.